This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We started talking about God and government. This is a, uh, it's a big issue today, isn't it? As we talk about government. You know, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I find myself here lately trying to figure out what's going on and listening to more talk radio. I'd kind of gotten away from that for a while, listening to more talk radio and listening, watching more nightly news than I used to. How many of you know that can be overwhelming? And then you have a moment like this where you stop and you remember who God is. You remember how big he is and that he's sovereign and you allow all that to melt away. We've got to be careful what we fill ourselves up with, don't we? We've got to be careful not filling ourselves up with too much of that bad news out there. But we talk about this, and of course the big thing now is that this is an election year, for those of you who didn't know. This is an election year. And we will be, obviously, electing a new president this year. And there are lots of opinions, and there's lots of division, isn't there? There's been lots of division for a while. But boy, it's intensifying. And, you know, I, I told you guys when I started this two weeks ago that I, had, uh, I read a book by Tony Evans. You can go ahead and throw that up there and recommend it to anybody who who's got questions about God. You have a pretty short book. You can get it on, uh, on Amazon. You can get it on the, for the Kindle for four or five bucks uh, called How Should Christians Vote by Dr. Tony Evans. And uh, great book. I actually, um, I, I told you I read it a couple weeks ago, and then I, I was in Nashville on Monday, and I, I listened to the, the last half of it again and to, to get some more of the stuff he was saying there. But how do we find answers to political questions? Well, a lot of times, as I talked about last time, a lot of times we, we know somebody who's our local neighborhood uh, family political expert, we go to and ask questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? A lot of times we see another article on Facebook that we don't even thoroughly read. We just put it up because we think it um, represents us and our position. How many of you have put something up on social media and somebody pointed out a couple things and you're like, ooh, that's not really my position and you had to remove that later? I've done it before. You're like, goodness, you know? And we've got to be careful the things that we're putting out there because sometimes they don't truly represent our view or God's view. But we have these questions. What is our responsibility when it comes to government? Who should I vote for? Who does God want in office? These are things that Christians are asking today and, frankly, debating over, correct? So how do we find answers to these questions? Well, along with everything else, you know, when it comes to marriage issues, financial issues, work issues, kid issues, church issues, we go to God's Word. So why don't we go to God's Word when it comes to politics? Most people never crack the Bible open. They just go with what they think is best in a moment or what their family's going with or the party they've always voted with or whatever it is instead of actually stopping and thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if God would have a say in this. Hmm, interesting, right? So in a quick recap of last week, what is God's position in regards to government? We read Romans 13.1, Now let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And I gave you three points. The first one, what is God's position? Number one is he's in charge. God is in charge, and that's the end of the story. He's in charge. As I said earlier, nobody can move the sun, the moon, and the stars. There is no authority above him. Does this mean that the people that are filling political office are serving God? No. Does this mean that they are necessarily fulfilling his will? No, it doesn't. But he is still in charge, and he is still the ultimate authority, correct? So government is created, 
It is decreed and it is established by God. So we cannot remove our involvement in government. We cannot remove God from our involvement in government. Our laws and government are based on this belief system, and that's why we have to seek Him. And that's why I was talking about the Bible says that God is sovereign, meaning that He is accountable to no one. Everything is either caused by Him or permitted by Him, which begs the question, well, then why do bad things happen? Well, because we as human beings can jack things up really quickly. We can make bad decisions that mess everything up, right? And then we have to suffer the consequences of it, and that stinks, but that's life, right? We teach our children those things. I read you a quote I wanted to read again. Dr. Tony Evans said, Problems arise when people adopt the institution of government but dismiss the divine ruler over government. Many people want God bless America today. They just don't want one nation under God. The issue is that you can't have one without the other. God has given us freedom to choose whether or not we will be one nation under him, whether we will recognize his rule and operate underneath it. But with that choice comes either God bless America or not. God only promises to bless a nation that recognizes his authority in Psalm 33, 12. Freedom means that you get to control the choice, but because God is the sovereign ruler over his creation, you don't get to control the consequences. He will rule by either endorsing your choice or he will rule by allowing you to have the consequences of a decision made against him, which is what we see today. So we talked about in regards to government. Okay, well, we want God bless America, right? So we, we look back and we know our forefathers founded this nation on God's word. They tried hard to do so. But we also know that many of them were slave owners. Guess what? God's blessing couldn't be poured out in different areas. And as a result, we are still suffering some of the consequences of that today. Right? You think about something like abortion. The Bible says that God knew you before you were in your mother's womb, that he had a plan and a purpose for your life. So, to me, it's hard to argue that the Bible's not against abortion. It's the taking of innocent life. If God created you and formed you and knew you before you were in your mother's womb, right? But our lawmakers today have said that it's okay and that it's legal, right? Thus, what happens? It's a bad decision, and so we, we suffer the consequences of it. Human life has been devalued. More and more, we've seen in the last 50 years since abortion was legalized, the devaluing of human life. People feel worthless everywhere. Violence is on the rise. I'm not saying that's all because of abortion, but I believe God cannot pour out blessing in certain areas because of choices that we've made, and so we suffer the consequences of it. The second thing I mentioned is that government is a divinely ordained institution. And we talked about four different forms of government that are talked about in the Bible. The first form of government was individual government. You know that we're called to govern ourselves? We're responsible for our own personal lives. Not our wife, not our mommy or daddy, not anybody else, not our pastor. We are responsible for ourselves. We are to govern our lives, and that's individual government, right? Secondly is family government. Christ is the head, and you've got the husband and wife, as the Bible says, submitted to one another. And you've got the parents over the, over the children and you know, raising them in the ways of the Lord. That's family government. And then you had C, you had church government. Christ is the head, the church leaders appointed by God to govern church matters and to serve as a moral compass to the government. And then the last form of government was the civil government, set in place to create and maintain a righteous and just environment where freedom can flourish, and realizing that civil government was created not to replace, but to support individual government, family government, and church government. Does that make sense? So the problem that many of us have with the government is 
when the government oversteps its bounds and tries to get involved in the individual government, in the family government, in the church government, because it wasn't created to do that. Does that make sense? And the last thing I mentioned was Christians can't separate church and state. And we talked about that. That's the biggest thing we hear today. We hear it on the news all the time. And many people believe that the separation of church and state is in the Constitution. Well, just because we hear it on the news every day <laughs> doesn't mean that it is necessarily what they say. We hear that all the time. Well, that, that, that violates separation of church and state. Well, the reality is there is nowhere in the First Amendment to the Constitution that it says the word separation of church and state. It is actually the Establishment Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment, and actually what it says is Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, that would tell us that basically we know our you know, that the founding fathers, most of them came over from Europe to the United States. And they came from a nation where there was a state government, right? There was the Church of England. You better be a part of the Church of England, right? It's saying, they said, this nation will never do that. There will never be a state government. This government will never dictate your faith. Basically, it was protecting faith from government. It wasn't protecting government from faith. And that's how separation of church and state is used today, is to try and keep anybody from ever mentioning God in anything that has to do with government. And that's not at all how it's intended. So um, we're of a different kingdom. We're of the kingdom of God. And with this in mind, we've got to be pursuing God's kingdom agenda. Philippians 3.20 says that we're of a different citizenship. And so we've got to look at that. We've got to understand that our instructions don't come from this kingdom. Our instructions come from that kingdom. That kingdom's instructions always overrule the instructions of this kingdom because we know who the sovereign ruler of all is. So how should a Christian vote? That's what I'm going to go into. Y'all ready for this? Let me tell you from the get-go, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. <laughs> I'm not, if you know us, we will never endorse a candidate or a party or anything else. We're not going to tell you how to vote because... That is our individual responsibility. That's individual government, to seek God for yourself and figure out what it is you're supposed to do, right? But I'm going to give you three things to think about today. So how should I vote? These are three things I want you to think about. Number one, realize that God did not come to take sides. He came to take over. And those of you who don't know in your service guide, I have some notes you can follow along there and fill in the blanks and whatnot. We also have it on the Bible app on your mobile apps there. But God did not come to take sides. God came to take over. And we see this. I'm going to go back for a minute into Joshua. We read from Joshua 5 uh, last time. But we see, you know, the children of Israel, Moses had just died, and Joshua's leaving the children of Israel, and they've come across the Jordan, and they're coming into the promised land, and what do they face? Jericho, this huge walled city, right? And so, Joshua's getting psyched up for this. He's getting ready. You know, it's going to be a big old battle. And, you know, he's trying to figure out what to do and how are we going to get our troops ready and all this stuff. And, and, and it says in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, And it came to pass, while Joshua, uh, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, worshipped him, and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And what we recognize in this, Joshua's doing like any of us would in that situation. 
all of a sudden you see this guy. Who is this guy? This big guy with a sword drawn, ready. And Joshua goes to him, says, are you for us or are you, for, or are you against us? Right? Whose side are you on? What's he say? He says, no. Basically saying you're asking the wrong question. Because then he goes on and says, as the commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. What Joshua's asking is, are you fighting for us or are you fighting for them? And he says, no. I mean, Joshua would have thought, these are God's chosen people that he's leading, right? So you would assume this commander of the army of the Lord has come to fight for us. He says, no, I didn't come to fight for you. I came to fight for the Lord. And Joshua quickly realized he was on the wrong side. <laughs> Does that make sense? He was following his own agenda. He believed he was doing what the Lord called him to do, but he was doing it in his own way, in his own strength. And he only saw two, two ways. He saw himself, he saw them, and he saw the adversaries. Well, no, we're not fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for him. Does that make sense? God is in the top governing position. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is sovereign. I read a couple more quotes I wanted to give you real quick. Um, this a guy by the name of Charles Ryrie wrote, I, I read this online about sovereign. It says, the word sovereign means principal, chief, and supreme. It speaks first of God's position. God is the chief being in the universe. And then of his power. God is supreme in power in the universe. How he exercises that power is revealed in the scriptures. A God, a supreme, I'm sorry, a sovereign God could be a dictator, which God is not. Or a sovereign God could abdicate the use of his powers, which God is not. Ultimately, God is control, in control of all things, though he may choose to let certain events happen according to the natural laws which he has ordained. And there's one more thing I read from, from gotquestions.org. It says, the serenity of God means that he is in total control of all things past, present, and future. Nothing happens that, he is, that is out of his knowledge and control. All things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own purpose and through his own perfect will and timing, as referenced in Romans 11.36 and 1 Corinthians 8.6. He is the only absolute and omnipotent ruler in the universe and is sovereign in creation, providence, and redemption. God's way bigger than politics. So much bigger. He is our sovereign Lord. And our goal, we should always be seeking to bring this kingdom into alignment with that kingdom. We report to the top dog, right? Even when the world refuses to recognize who he is. We've got to change our perspective like Joshua did. We've got to realize our role in government is to pursue God's kingdom agenda. Not what we think is best in government, not what would make us most comfortable, but we're seeking God's kingdom and his agenda. And realizing that we are his ambassadors in the earth. We are not of this world. We're of a different kingdom. So we're just here, we're just working here, right? We're just here for a short time. So we've got to stop and we've got to look at that. We've got to realize that through Jesus, we are the only hope of the world. The Bible says the hope is, the church is the hope of the world, right? Who in here is a part of the church? Through Jesus, we are the hope of the world. And so we've got to stop and realize that we are his ambassadors in the earth and we are here to bring heaven to earth. What's God's position? He's in charge. We're his subjects, but only because he loved us enough to give his life for us, to pay a great price. And now, we're here to further his kingdom on the earth. God did not come to take sides in human affairs. He came to take over. Second point I want to make, our vote should not be, I'm, I'm sorry, our vote should be about issues, not parties. 
Our votes should be about issues, not parties. If Joshua was here today, part of our church, he might would look at us and say, are you a Democrat or Republican? Whose side are you on? True, isn't it just that divided? The opposition, you see the parties and it's just adversaries. It's a war going on. And it's kind of the question that Joshua was asking here. In this situation, that's what he would say. Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? Well, I'm an independent. We only feel our own side is what's important, don't we? You know, people may ask, are you a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, whatever? It's not the correct answer. It's not the correct question, I'm sorry. The correct answer to that question would be, what are the issues that we're talking about? Because I always side with God. The issues are what should determine our vote. And as I said, you know, you're not going to find me or any of my family or, or the church ever take a position on a, on a political candidate or party or anything else. And I recognize that there are folks in this room that will vote Democrat and those will vote Republican and those will vote Independent and those will vote Libertarian and, and whatever else. And I fully feel that that is all right. But we should not be defined by the world's labels or the labels of a political party. Does that make sense? We shouldn't be defined by, by a political party. We should only be labeled as kingdom-minded. And here's, here's another big thing. No party should own the Christian vote. And no party should be able to take the Christian vote for granted either. You understand what I'm saying? There is no Christian party out there. We always think our party's the Christian party, the one that we generally vote for. There is no Christian party. God is not, is not a Republican or a Democrat or anything else. Amen? Another quote I read, I want to read to you real quick. Tony Evans said, We must think clearly and biblically about the issues at hand while avoiding the mindless herd mentality of partisan politics. Neither party represents the Christian position or even real hope. They never have. It can be easy to go along with the crowds in politics, especially because they're often sharing messages that appeal to our emotions and our convictions. Take a step back from that herd mentality to really analyze what Scripture says in light of different issues or topics that are essential for us as Christians. We must vote in a manner that brings his kingdom into alignment with this kingdom. That's what it all boils down to. Only God and his world represent the Christian position. We will never find a candidate that fully represents the Christian position. We'll never find a party that represents the Christian position. Only he represents the Christian position. Amen? You know, um, another example he gave in that book I thought was really good. So many of you know, um, if you know of Dr. Tony Evans, he's the, he's the chaplain uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, he talked about how he always uses his football examples. And he was talking about how, you know, we think of an NFL football game and we think of the two teams on the field, right? And who's the, the team? Each individual team is governed by their coach, right? Gives them their instructions and what they're supposed to do and whatever else. And both teams think they know what's best and they think they are better and they think they're going to take each other out, right? And they all think they have a little better strategy and, and all these different things, right? 
What we fail to recognize is that there is a third team on the field. There's the officials. Right? And they feel they know what is right as well. Because you know what? They do. They are supposed to be unbiased. Right? Not supporting one team or the other. And they report to a higher office. Right? The regulatory commissioner of the NFL or whatever it's called. They get their instructions from a higher place that trumps what the coaches say, right? In like manner, we report to a higher power. We report to the top dog, and our instructions overrule the instructions of this world. We really don't need to get into a position where we are supporting a specific party. That's what he, Dr. Tony Evans said. He said, people ask me, you know, you know what party I'm affiliated with or whatever else, and, and whose side I'm on, and I always say, I'm on God's side. And that's kind of the position I've always taken. You'll find that me and my family, we don't, we don't generally talk. I, I, I grew up, my grandmother always told me, my, your vote is private. That's you. That's between you and God, right? And there's no reason to bring division into the midst of the whole thing. But we're not to get, we're really not to start taking sides. What we're supposed to do is stand for the issues and take a Christian position and bring heaven to earth. Amen? So questions to ask yourself in the midst of all this. What are the most important issues at stake in our country today? And we all may have a little different answer for that because we're all wired a little differently and there's things that are, you know, uh, a little more important to different ones of us than other things. So what are, what are the important issues in our country that are at stake today? And then we've got to ask ourselves, what candidate would stand by God's position on more of these issues? Who would most further God's position? And look, this is the first time, you know, I, I've heard more people saying over the last few months that this may be the first time that I don't vote because they struggle with the idea of voting for the lesser of two evils. And, you know, I, I'm never going to make anybody feel bad. I, I don't want you to violate your conscience, if that makes sense. I'll say this too, though. Man, what a pivotal time. Things are going to change greatly, one way or the other. And, um, you know, we see just a couple of weeks ago, actually just this week, we saw something come up before the Supreme Court. And you know what? It was a stalemate because there's a justice missing from the Supreme Court. It's four to four. They're not making decisions. And one way that Supreme Court's going to lean a different direction because the first thing, the next candidate that goes in office, first thing they're going to do is nominate a Supreme Court justice. And that's going to be huge because they will sway the vote. That'll be it. And they say the next person that goes into office, if they, if they get two terms, they might appoint up to two more Supreme Court justices. That'll change the direction of this nation. That'll change history. This is a very, very pivotal time. So I encourage you, before you just decide to, to not vote, I encourage you to, you know, don't realize God didn't come to take sides, right? It's not about parties, it's about issues. I encourage you to seek God and pray. Say, Lord, what would you have me do in this moment? What, what is my part to play right here at this pivotal point in history? Our vote is about issues, not parties, not candidates. What are the issues? What is God's position and what are the candidates' positions? The last thing, third thing I wanted to mention that I think is very important. We can't allow our votes to bring division in God's family. 
Tony Evans said, the separation and division in politics has crept in and become separation and division in the church. Because of this, the church is making little visible difference in our communities as a whole. Cause of, the, uh, cause of the division. Read it again. The separation and division in politics has crept in and become separation and division in the church. Because of this, the church is making little visible difference in our communities as a whole. He also said we need to be careful not to judge the voting positions of others which fosters division and separation. Let me tell you, division in the church is nothing new. If you study the, the early church in the New Testament, you know, we, we see that you know, all these Jews, after Jesus ascended, all these Jews start coming to Christ, right? The Jews start converting to Christianity. And then what happens? The Gentiles start converting too, right? And boy, you talk about different. The Jews and the Gentiles, the Gentiles were basically anybody who weren't the Jews, right? <laughs> so for the first time, we see Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish, and they're turning to God, and they are from totally different backgrounds, totally different histories, totally different belief systems, totally different values, and guess what? They're coming together, and they still had to function as part of God's family. They had to function together as part of the body of Christ with completely different histories, completely different cultures, completely different ways of thinking, and that's part of the things that we see through the, through the New Testament that Paul's writing about. It's part of the reason he had to write about some of the things he did was just simply because of their differences. And he's saying, come on, guys, we've got to come together in unity. And I'm going to read to you, it's on the back of your note sheet there, and I'm going to read all this, it'll take just a minute, but in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 13, and this is kind of the instructions for that that we see, and, and most theologians agree that Paul wrote Romans, uh, they don't know for sure, but they believe that he wrote it during his two and a half years in Corinth, he wrote uh, the letter to the Roman people while he was there, and this is what he said, and realize he's writing to Rome, right, so who's he writing to? He's writing to the Gentiles, Right? Not the Jewish people. He's writing to the Gentiles. And he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to, dispute, not to disputes over doubtful things. Now, hang on a second there. Receive those who are weak. Is he calling the Jewish Christians weak? Well, kind of. <laughs> really, what he's saying there, he's talking, he's talking about Christians who lack the confidence to do what the law had previously prohibited. Does that make sense? So we know in the Old Testament, there were, all, there were dietary laws, and all, man, we'd be toast, all them dietary laws. I mean, man, we're in the South. We love to eat, right? We lived back in the day and had to abide by those dietary laws. Man, y'all know pork was out, right? Not eating the pork. Um, they had all these different laws. I mean, you realize that if you came in contact with blood, I mean, your kid got a loose tooth and bled a little, got on your hand, you were unclean if you came in contact with blood. You came in contact with a dead animal you were unclean, and you had to go through these cleansings and all these different... It's all Old Testament, right? Old Testament law. And so Jesus comes, and it's the new covenant, and these old laws and things are passed away. But the Jews were very religious people, and they're still struggling. <laughs> okay, we still have to observe the Sabbath on this day, and we still have to avoid eating this and this and this. And yeah, so they're going through, and they're, they're looking at it this way, right? So he's saying, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who, judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, 
Another esteems every day alike. In other words, I mean, I know there's people today couldn't imagine going to church on a Saturday. Saturday. Church is on Sunday. What? Right? A lot of churches starting to have Saturday night services and stuff. Can't go to church on Saturday. Saturday. Right? That's what he's speaking to here. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He does not deserve observe the day. Does not to the Lord, he does not observe it. Man, this is one of them scriptures that <laughs> the way they wrote these things. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. But why should you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Got that? That's pretty clear. We're not to be a stumbling block. We're not to judge one another. We've got to realize that we're all in a different place in our Christian walk. And it doesn't mean that just because we're, we're convinced that we've got God's position on a certain issue, that somebody else has got the same thing from God in that moment. You know, it says not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in a brother's way. You know, it, it's kind of disturbing to me the things I see people put on Facebook supporting you know, their position or their candidate or whatever it may be, causing fights and issues. And, what, and look, I, I realize we'll never make everybody happy, and we've, we've got we, we've to take a stand on, on you know, let's take a position on issues and different things like that. But to me, there, there is no reason to be a stumbling block. You know, I, I, I'm in the position that I would rather be more of a blessing than an offense. And I think that we could make it a lot further if we would kind of take that position on things, you know, a lot of times the things that we see posted in social media, you know, it's, it's based on party lines and minor issues and, and different things, and, we, and people just get violently upset over it. You know, I, um, I actually, a couple of weeks ago, when I first started this, a couple of you know, I, had, I was going to do a little skit. I had this whole thing, I had this whole thing ready to go. Actually, let me get in my bag here real quick. I had talked to Miss Marilyn about it, and I had talked to um, I had talked to Steve Mueller, and I had talked to Lori Cole, and I was going to do this little skit, and I was going to have our presidential candidates, the two assumed presidential candidates, walk in the room, and I actually went out and I bought masks, <laughs> had them all ready to go two weeks ago. And several days before, I felt sick about it. I was like, I don't want to cause a division or be a stumbling block. Because I could see, Steve Mueller had a great, <laughs> hilarious Trump imitation I've ever seen. You have to get him to do it for you sometime. <sighs> it's hilarious. But I just, I felt really bad about it inside, and I, I called Dad, and he goes, uh, if, you don't, if you don't have peace about it, he said, every time I've gone against that peace, I've regretted it. 
And I thought, you know, I could see them coming in the room and one person booing one and one person booing the other. And the division and the conflict. And I didn't see any reason to bring that into this room. You know, our family doesn't support a candidate or a party. We don't come out and voice those things because partially we don't want to cause division or be a stumbling block. We just want to share the truth of God's Word and allow you to govern your own life and make a decision on what you believe God says. There's enough division in the world today, and we've got to be unified in the body of Christ, even if we vote differently. It's okay. We should always try and avoid conflict and division. And really, we need to do so even outside of the body of Christ. And I, I read, I want to read you one more quote. I, I can't figure out where I got this. But it says, guard your attitude and words. Yes, we should promote Christian ideas, but we should do so in a distinctly Christian manner. At the end of the day, we need to be sure that we preserve our gospel witness toward others by modeling humility, civility, and dignity. It's nearly impossible to speak politely with your neighbor about Jesus after you've harshly condemned them about their candidate of choice. It can be very easy for us to respond to messages on social media and politics and get quickly caught up in heated debates that can hurt our spiritual influence. James 1.19 advises that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This should be our guiding force as this politically charged election season continues. We've got to be sure in the midst of all this that our right that we feel we have, our right to voice our opinion is done in the right manner and isn't bringing division and separation, especially within the body of Christ. Because more than ever in history, we've got to stand together today. Even if we vote differently, we've got to stand together as the body of Christ. Amen? And that's the other problem with those outside of the body of Christ. All it does is destroy our Christian witness. So in wrapping up, God is in charge. Amen? Government is divinely ordained by him. And Christians cannot separate church and state. And then today, we got to realize that God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Our vote should be about issues, not about parties. It should be about bringing his kingdom in alignment with this kingdom, or this kingdom in alignment with his kingdom. And then lastly, we can't allow our vote to bring division in God's family. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, from the New Living, it says, This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's all we are, is we're the truth. We're not meant to take sides and jump into unnecessary arguments and battles. We're here to stand for what God says. As we said last week, as the church, we are meant to be a moral compass for this nation. And I think that's part of the reason we see some of the issues that we see today because the church has failed to be that moral compass that we should have been. Through Jesus, we are the hope of the world. So we've got to do our part. We've got to seek God. We've got to know what his word says. We need to know the issues. And we need to know God's position. We can't sit on the bench. We've got to get involved. We need to vote. 
We need to stand for godly principles, but we need to do so in a godly manner. We need to bring this kingdom into alignment with his kingdom, and then we will see heaven on earth. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, I would just ask, as we do at the conclusion of every service, you may have listened to all this whole thing and, and not even understood this whole not of this world thing, not of this kingdom. <laughs> what I'm talking about is when we give our lives to Jesus, it says that he grafts us into the family of God. And we're no longer a part of this world. We're a part of the heavenly kingdom. We're just here temporarily. We're just here working to further God's cause, to show his love and his mercy and his grace to all of mankind. When the end comes and that that day comes, we take our final breath. We don't have to worry about what happens next because the Bible tells us that we'll be hand in hand with Jesus. It's what it means to be present with the Lord. We'll be right there with him and in his presence, embraced in a love like we have never known. If you find yourself in that position, you say, you know what, I I can't say 100% that if I died today that I would that would be in God's presence. Then it's time to get things right. It's time to surrender and tell the Lord, you know what, I'm, I'm done doing things in my own strength and my own way. God, I recognize who you are. It's basically just making him Lord and Master. You may have done it before. You may have as a child, you may have, you may have prayed and given your life to Christ. You may have been baptized. But you realize that you haven't live for the Lord in years. You've, you've done everything in your own way, in your own strength. And maybe you tried to be a good person, but we, but we realize that according to the Bible, we can never measure up to God's standard. Trying to be a good person, it, it's, just, it's just never enough. But it doesn't matter because Jesus was enough. Jesus is enough. He died in your place. He took your sin and shame. All you've got to do is receive him. All you've got to do is make him the master and the Lord. With every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what, I need to surrender to him today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come up here. I just want to see your hand. Who would say, I need to give my life to Jesus today? I need to surrender. I've been living my life for myself too long. If anybody would say, I need to surrender my life to Christ today. I need to make things right. All right, we're going to pray together. And whether you raise your hand or not, I, I encourage you to just pray this. The Bible says all you got to do is mean it in your heart. It's not about the prayer. It's about, it's about your heart position. It's about putting him in a position above yourself. Allowing him to take over. Allowing him to steer the ship of your life. And following him from this point forward. We're going to pray it together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending him in my place. Father, forgive me for living this life in my own way, in my own strength, doing my own thing. I'm done. Today, Jesus, I give my life to you. I ask you to come in and take over. I thank you for taking my sin 
and dying in my place, I ask you to forgive me today. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything that I was created to be. Lord, I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer. I pray that you would surround them by godly people and godly influences in Jesus' name that point them in the right direction. I pray, Lord, they would stop and they would take the time. They would, they would make room for you in their lives, Lord. Lord, that they would hear your voice, that you would speak, that you would truly lead and guide them with that still, small voice. And Lord, that they would do wonders for your glory in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for this country that we live in. I thank you for the United States of America, the home of the brave, the land of the free. Lord, we, I don't think any of us here know what it's like to be anything else but free. And too often we've taken it for granted. But we thank you for freedom and we thank you for liberty. We thank you for this republic where we're allowed to come in, we're allowed to voice our positions. One of the ways we do that is through our vote. We do that through standing for different issues. But I pray, Lord, those issues, Lord, that we would stop and we would make sure they line up with your position in Jesus' name. That we would always be trying to further your kingdom, not, not our little kingdom, not our country of the United States. We'd be furthering your kingdom in Jesus' name. God, that you would appoint godly people to office who would come in with the same vision, the same passion to bring heaven to earth in Jesus' name. And we pray for our governing officials. Lord, surround them by godly influences in Jesus' name. We pray for a shakeup and revival in our federal government, in our president and our vice president and their families in Jesus' name, in the Senate and the House of Representatives and all of Congress. Lord, we pray for a shakeup in Jesus' name, that, Lord, that you would make yourself known and real in that place, in Jesus' name, and that we would not stay silent, but that we would speak out, that we would speak the truth in Jesus' name. Lord, may your church truly be heard again. May we speak with one voice, not, may we just come against the division and the strife that we see within the church today. Lord, we just come together in unity in Jesus' name, in one voice, not behind a party, not behind a candidate, behind you, Lord. Lord, that we would bow our knee before you and say, what does my Lord have to say, just as Joshua did in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that together we can make a difference, and we choose to do so. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.